It's me, Kalechi Aza, host of Cake and Kombucha, Bravo, Bravo, effing Bravo podcast. And I'm here to talk a little RHOP before the Christmas EV. Mm, a freestyle rapper I'm not. But I am here to bring some good cheer. Oop, I was a poet and I didn't even know it. <laughs> All right, enough, enough of that. Um, like I said, the other pod, I just, um, there's going to be an RHOBH and this one dropping at the same time. We have some really exciting news regarding this podcast for after the holidays and we're going to take a little break and I'll probably drop some of my Miami backlog, which I have, but then editing was just getting a little bit crazy, but I do want you to have something to listen to while you're peeling sweet potatoes and fighting with your family. So I'm going to drop a little something, something your way. I highly recommend watching that George Santos interview with ZUA. Uh, should we have given him a platform? I don't know. But I just feel like there are still like active pedophiles like Matt Gates there. And so sometimes I wonder, is it homophobia that Santos got fired first? I don't know. Isn't that guy that was hoarding gold bars in... um? New Jersey, is he still there? I don't know. I'm not saying George Santos is anything but a charlatan and a crook, but it, it just seems like we don't usually close the loop and wrap it up with these um, criminals that fast, especially in the GOP. So I, I thought that all kind of concluded quickly. Maybe I maybe I haven't made the closest attention, but um, that bitch is nuts. Absolutely nuts. Uh, just unhinged. Everything... From his overfilled, you know, Juvederm cheeks, just looking like a marionette, to the fact that he didn't know who Marsha P. Johnson was and answered um, by saying, I love the work, honorable, respectful. <laughs> Such a mess. What a mess. What a mess. Um, let's get into, speaking of messes... Let's launch right into this episode. So this is, we stopped at the cliffhanger, <laughs> the cliffhanger of Robin crying in the van. And then, you know, it ends in like, okay, let's not be friends. Okay, so we're not friends then. Uh, between Candace and Robin. I mean, essentially what I have written down is Candace and Robin decided not to be friends because Candace couldn't handle comforting Robin for two seconds. Candace has, has been exceedingly uncomfortable when Robin cries. You could tell. She hasn't said oh, here's a tissue or any, I mean, she just looks, she looked irritated at first. It's, it's kind of like she just thought someone stole her move. So she doesn't know how to act. She says in her confessional that she doesn't know why Robin is crying. Robin literally told her explicitly that the thing that hurt her at that moment the most was Candace implying that Robin is the reason that Juan got fired. That Robin talking about her his case on the reunion and things like that is why he got fired now i don't think it helps do i think it helps anything to have your wife on a tv show speaking in her rather aloof flat manner about your legal woes when your legal woes involve uh, you know a a child a, a college student that was being predated on by your colleague no i don't think it helps so I wonder if a nerve was scratched because it is kind of her fault. But either way, of course, it's not something you say to your friend. And then they get out of the car and Candace is doubling down to, to Robin or to when, 
no, to Karen saying, I just said that I don't think it's good to speak on, you know, legal troubles, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, we know what you said and what you said made her cry. And you could have just tried to wrap it up and say sorry, but instead you got in a fight with her about being hurt, about her being hurt. So we're at this chicken chip bingo place, which is a dive bar. You've lost me a dive bar. I don't want to smell like cigarette butts anymore and mildewed mops and sticky floors. So it's not my scene. But I do say, like, as meat eaters, it's just... The women act like a chicken. The chicken is a boa constrictor. Someone brings a chicken by the table and they react to, like, touching it as if it's going to murder them and I just at some point it it becomes a little I don't want to say hypocritical it's just like being that grossed out being disgusted by something that you eat I can see if you don't want to look at entrails and stuff but you just being grossed out by something you eat in its living form is is like it just makes you wonder should you be eating it so anyway the concept of this bingo is that the chicken goes in this little cage that has a bingo mat I guess you call it a bingo mat underneath and wherever he shits that's the number that's being called so instead of an old lady with blue hair and a perm calling out the numbers it's a chicken who's shitting smashing um NECA accuses Wendy of manipulating Candace Literally, Wendy is trying to convince Candace to repair her relationship with Robin, even though Wendy doesn't even like Robin. So how NECA took that as manipulating, uh, it's just like when it gets... NECA has nothing useful to say in her confessional. She has no useful observations. It's, It's like it's... We get it. You wanted to come on the show and fight with Wendy and... You probably maybe didn't always intend on doing that, but it ended up that way when you tried to use her for clout and your her mom attacked you with words which with, with witchcraft. What are words but witchcraft? Uh, you know what 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 have you? But you can't stay on this show by making insipid observations of things that aren't happening, not having you know just trying to be buddy buddy with anybody everybody else. Pick a conflict. Call some other women out on their shade. You know they're not angels. You know they all hate each other. You don't have to just like try to suck up to every other single person and be like, I don't know. I think they're great. They've been nothing but nice to me. This person's been nothing but nice to me. Yeah, when you're around for two minutes, sometimes people are nice to you. You don't. Sometimes you don't see the full extent of people's characters in two minutes. So they're all sitting around the table, acting scared of chickens this tiny bar table that fits all of them. So it's like a curved booth at a round table. They're squished in there and Robin is on one side of it, crying to the green eyed bandits, Karen, Mia, those types saying that it really hurts to hear that she's the reason why Juan lost his job because that's his life. That's his passion. Basketball's his passion. And, you know, talks about how much her husband is hurting from losing his job and she's crying and crying so what does candace do candace is on the other side of the table she sees um robin crying so she whips out her triangle as uh ashley calls it her isosceles napkin and she starts poking herself in the eye with it what what how do you just have them ready that's what i want to know so you carry these around in your bag because you're prepared 
And it's like a cry off. I mean, I've never seen a clear example of weaponizing one's tears. She just starts crying so hard that it's awkward and it's overwhelming for everyone. So Robin gets up and leaves. She goes outside to sit on the curb and cry some more and have a moment by herself. Giselle and Mia follow her outside. Giselle can't walk in her shoes. She's wearing like seven inch heels. I mean, the angle of the shoes, it's just like her her feet are just at a 90 degree angle. So they're bas- she's basically on point. It's crazy. And so as she walks with her feet, you know, perpendicularly bisecting the ground, um, just like ding, 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 teetering back and forth. She's calling after Robin to come back. And, you know, they talked to her for a moment, but she's very, very upset. She doesn't usually have breakdowns like this. So they continue ch- talking about it outside, chow. Um, Candace states, in, in, in her confessional, she doubles down and says, you talked about your husband's legal matter. That contributed to you to him losing his job now so I say that so now you don't want to be friends that's not even what transpired she was sobbing she was beside herself and hurt and you had an opportunity to say like okay well I didn't mean to hurt your feelings or we don't really know if that was the reason I'm just saying that in the future like whatever these people clean up a lot of messy comments from attacks to people's appearances I mean it's all it's all out there so there's always a way and Candace refused and then she's going to say outside that she doesn't know why the friend you know it got to then let's not be friends then she does my favorite toxic thing well I'm kind of glad I'm actually glad Robin is showing is you know breaking down because she's finally showing some emotion don't do that not everybody breaks down Robin was clearly depressed a couple seasons ago and sleeping in until noon every day. And, you know, her behavior of sleeping in was public knowledge. That Then you know she's depressed. She doesn't have to wail on the floor and gnash her teeth to show you that she's upset. And it's just very strange for you to openly admit that you only respond to histrionics to show that someone is, is going through something when they're obviously going through something and they're the a personality type you allege to know because you said you were friends with them. Gosh, like the black Kyle Richards over here. It is the grand dame's birthday, guys. It is the day of the triple 20. Now, for those of you like me who struggle to add or multiply, Karen is turning 60 and it is her second year in a row being on a janky, contiguous United States vacation trip with the girls last year was Miami and they actually played a clip of Mia throwing the drink into Wendy's face it was so that was that was like so she wasn't Wendy was in a tear sure she was just saying are you about the Peter thing are you telling me I have to ask some random man tell him that I'm here before I come to Atlanta or Miami or blah and Mia just threw a drink in her face and then Wendy gets in trouble for calling her dumb. You explicitly resorted to violence in a conversation that was not about whooping ass. You know what I mean? She, you literally just were like, Wendy speaks fast. I can't keep up. I'll pour a drink in her face. That's really what it was about. So I kind of give me, uh, Wendy all the passes in the world for when she wants to call me a dumb. But anyway, that's what happened last year on uh, the Grand Dame's birthday. So 
Giselle comes to Karen's room to tell her that happy birthday. Here's some snacks from the hotel bar, the hotel fridge in my room, a little mini champagne. And, um, I want to say some nuts. It was a Snickers bar. Like they were snacks from, they were from the, the hotel fridge, but she comes to say like, stop pushing this narrative that I'm going to get, uh, back into good graces with Candace the whole peacemaker thing that Karen has appointed herself to do as the eldest and the grandest, she's saying, cut it out because, and here's what got on my nerves. She said that I treat people differently based on the color of my skin. And that's the allegation that Candace put out. And because of that, I've gotten hundreds of death threats. So we're going to break this down in parts because the next disturbing thing that was said is Giselle conveys that Candace's reply to you made me get a lot of death threats is, well, I get death threats too. Whew, that's not the standard of what, I mean, no, people really will be like, kill yourself, you're fat, kill yourself, I don't like your shoes on the internet. But it's still just not, you know, for Giselle to be like, I have hundreds of death threats this year, I never got them before. And Candace to say, well, so do I. Yikes. Um, I don't like, obviously this colorism conversation has always, it's, it's trash, it's always been trash, but it's such complicated trash because so many things are true at the same time. Is it an inordinately light-skinned cast? Yes, yes it is. Is it, you know, was it strange years ago to watch Robin insist that she was not at all mixed even though she, in the same breath, says she often gets mistaken for, you know, Russian, Estonian, Lebanese, Romanian, Italian, that's a little weird. Um, I just think it's weird just with knowledge of genetics and there's that's a total difference between you saying that you have some admixture in your genes versus acknowledging that, you know, I come from a historically light-skinned family, which is a thing that directly connected people to success. So that that's weird, you know, and all of that has been commented upon. It used to be called the beige franchise, etc. Then Candace was added, then Wendy and um, Monique were added. I mean, Monique was added first. So another, one thing I think is interesting is that Candace never accused anyone of colorism when Monique was on the show. It was only after Monique was gone and then Candace had no target for her aggression anymore and started acting out and crying and having fits and saying nasty things to everybody else. Um, colorism is real. It exists. It's in the fabric of our society, just like racism is. But Candace is also a horribly, horribly entertaining but unlikable, badly, badly behaved person who says crazy, crazy things to people. So her taking up the mantle of, of colorism is really uncomfortable because the complaint is not that she's hood or she's angry or that she's just generally distasteful or a lot of the stereotypes that do get attributed to black people and darker skinned black people. It's that she's mean and nasty. She is so mean. She has mine. Um, and then, so I hate that, that she brings this up all the time. But then Giselle, on the other hand, Giselle, you didn't get accused of treating people differently because of the color of their skin. And let's not, I hate, let's not do the color of their skin like it's fucking pre-K. 
like you're reading an MLK primer for someone who's, I don't know, learning first grade English translated from Spanish or something. It, it's not, it's colorism. It's people who have proximity to whiteness receive privileges in society. So when Candace was saying to you, sit up there with your white looking ass making accusations about my husband, she wasn't saying that you pick on me because I'm dark skinned. She was saying, she was just coming for her. She was saying, you have privilege. When you complain about something, people take it seriously. You have blue eyes, you're beautiful. You have a an access to being seen as a victim that I don't have. And in this case, you used it against my husband. She wasn't saying Giselle has some sort of, you know, <laughs> Giselle has like a, a cotton club review, the way, like, well, the way the cotton club used to be and won't allow any dancers into the troupe that are darker than a paper bag. That's not what she was saying. So I don't like it being misstated. However, it was interesting when Karen responded because she said, Oh, you know, and I've had some of that too. And what's interesting about us is we both have brown skin, beautiful girls. Okay, again, don't I have black friends, your children, okay? Being light-skinned and having dark-skinned daughters does not mean you're not a colorist. I mean, people, there's books and novels and movies where the dark-skinned kid is tormented by a lighter parent or a dark parent. Just these these desires, these beauty standards they all exist without someone actively engaging in them it's just the water we're swimming in however i know that karen treats her daughter like a queen and loves her down and so i don't i don't me personally i don't think karen is a colorist i don't from the thing that i don't think it's something she thinks about and i don't necessarily think giselle is a colorist either i just think a, an awareness of your position relative to other people is always helpful. Um, so I just didn't really like the way, basically what I'm saying is that Giselle phrased it as something that she can refute so that she can not engage with her light skin privilege. Um, it, it, it's just, I think it would have been suffice to say that Candace is very nasty on the internet and foments you know, rage and craziness in a crowd and then sent it on me. I think she could have just said that. I don't like dipping in and out of these issues. And, you know, when Ashley said, colorism is real, I just don't think that's happening here. Oh, I didn't, it's so fun. It's so annoying because it's like true, but it's not true. It's like, yes, you're wrong for saying that something that is in the fabric of our society isn't operant in society. It's It's just there. But at the same time, I think she was just trying to say, you know, Yes, colorism is real, but Candace is a bitch. That's why we don't like her. I mean, Candace's entire campaign is to be able to have really bad behavior and only be judged as much as other bad behavior, but her behavior is measurably worse. I think that's what the issue is. I think that if she threw a glass or she hit someone or started a fight and never got forgiven for it, that would be an issue. Because other people do do things like that. Teresa Judice does stuff like that every season. But the thing that you're trying to measure, who says the most cutting, absolutely below the belt things to people, it's you. You're going to turn most of America against you if you call a postpartum woman wide-bodied and then try to have your own 
pregnancy journey, which I, why is she freezing her eggs into it? No one even, they don't even have a storyline of talking about trying to conceive naturally. So I'm confused by that too. Anyway, then they go to kayaking, which, you know, was mildly entertaining, but as someone who likes water for, for some reason, the whole time I was <laughs> looking forward to whitewater rafting. <laughs> Now, I don't know where in Austin I thought they were going to go white water rafting, but I did. And so then when they got to this little placid, calm lake to kayak and acted terrified, I was like, enough is enough, ladies. This is a, a third grader at Girl Scout camp activity. We just can't keep pretending like everything is scary all the time. Grow up. So they paddled around and Mia kind of was where I'm at. She was like, are these bitches serious? Like, row. She's like, I do physical activity. I actually like it. And she was the only one like making moves with her paddle. NECA is like singing in front, in the front of the boat, but she's not really hitting the water in that angle to scoop it and, and displace it. So you actually move. So I was like, okay, ha ha ha. Hijinks, comedians, great. Let's move on. We do find out that Karen is purchasing her grandmother's home. And there's flashback to the little spinoff of Surrey County show that Karen had. Gosh, it was in the pandemic, so I don't even know whether to say last year or when it was. Two years ago. But they show her talking to her aunt about the land. And she is purchasing this old house. And it's really... A lovely I love the history that Karen always grounds us in and reminds us that she her family is from a plantation they now own the plantation they used to work on and not being scared to discuss that heritage being proud of it um there's so much discourse on the internet now as well as I think because now America is so diverse and it has an influx of other black immigrants from all over the world um but the whole, like, what is African-American culture? What is African-American? Do we have culture? I, yeah, I'm Nigerian, if anyone's confused. But I'm also, my mom's family is African-American. So I'm African-American, and I probably identify more with that because I was raised here. And also, we're the ones I feel like sometimes that need the big ups and need to be lifted up. Um, because people shit on us. Like, of course, we have a culture. We influence culture all over the globe. Our civil rights movements have influenced civil rights movement in South Africa, in Palestine, um, everywhere else. We are a strong people that survived a lot and like made a way out of no way and, and created new things out of this interesting melange of cultures and, you know, all of West Africa that we are descended from that got mixed up together here in the U.S. And... I love when I see Karen segments because they just remind me of the type of people that I came from and my mom's parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. And, you know, we come up from the South and that's how most of us got to whatever major cities in the North were at. And it's really inspiring to see her family's connection to the land, connection to their history and their lineage and... I'm not saying like to be a responsible black person, you have to like buy your plantation and live there, but it's cool to see. It's cool. She talks about it. And I love the pride with which she speaks about it. 
So that's just my little thank you for the black history factoids, Karen. Um, keep them coming. I will say it was interesting to think she said my grandmother's house is 108 years old. And then I thought about it. I was like, well, it's not that old. It's only 48 years older than you. Huh. So the, that can't be the house that the grandma, like, raised them in. I don't know. Is it the house that the grandma raised her? I don't know. Because now that's going to be more math. So don't ask me, child. Anyway, that was a cool scene. And then we jump. Yeah, again, this was kind of just them milking Austin and... I don't have much more to say about that because, you know, chicken shit, uh, cowboy boots, yeah. But we jump to the part of the episode that has got the most, sparked the most conversation, which is another yearly famous call to one in which he shows us why he's husband of the year. I thought this whole thing was a little interesting um, to even put on camera from from the tasks that she's doing, which is figuring out health insurance stuff, which is, you know, what you have to do when people are fired. So it's, it's like, you don't want to talk about how your husband's fired, but then you want to show yourself on vacation talking about calling, you know, the insurance agents and sorting out your health plans and stuff. She has in the confessional, she tells us that Juan's contract is the same. He was contracted. So basically he's still getting paid for 13 more months. And she says that she hopes that he can find a job in 13 months. But yeah, he is 13 months before anything would change, but nothing has changed for them financially. To which I say, great, I'm, I'm, uh, they don't need more financial strife. I think sometimes we forget we did watch them move from a really tiny house to a bigger, to a big house commensurate with, you know, everyone else's house. So we actually watch these people's lives change because of the check that they're getting from the show that we watch and critique their performance on the show. It's, it's really interesting if you take a step back. So this phone call was disappointing to say the least. And I'm going to argue both sides of it. Um, so the side that I'm going to argue on behalf of Robin is going to be probably longer probably the most hefty side. She calls him the way every wife on the show calls their husbands to talk about a fight. They all download their fights to their partners and their partners say, oh, we'll just try to, I, I don't know, you know, Kyle, Mauricio, he's a blah, blah, blah. You know, PK says something snappy. A more supportive, calmer presence husband like a doctor. I'm, this is not housewives, but it's married to medicine. Um, Dr. Daddy. I don't even know his name. That's too bad. He's daddy. Heavenly's husband would just be like, okay, baby. Well, try not to curse them all out and call them everything but a child of God. And she'll say, oh, do I do that, daddy? <laughs> okay, I'll try, daddy. <laughs> um, something like that. You know, uh, Eugene on Married to Medicine would say... He's he likes gossip. That's which is the kind of husband I want. Like he wants the details with you. He's gonna get into details with you, and he'll he'll be like, okay, we'll just make sure you tune this out or make sure you do this. He can actually strategize with you because he's listening. But you know the other husbands like a Mauricio was like, oh babe, okay babe, oh this oh just that eye roll a sigh, which is what people need sometimes. Not Robin. Robin can't get Robin can't get a morsel of a crumb 
from the table of support, okay? She can't. She, he just yells at her every time she's upset. And it's, it's, it would be one thing if it was just tough love in this instance, but then he was also angry at her the season that she was sleeping in. He said it was unattractive instead of asking her, why are you sleeping in? What's going on? So similarly, in this instance, she says, you know, hey, Juan, I, I'm so, it's so crazy. You know, the ladies I'm not close with, things got really charged and contentious because Candace told me that I damaged the group by not telling them about our situation. It's kind of funny to have to call it our situation because which part, the, the job loss, the cheating, which part? But then he's like, "Ugh, Robin, it's not their life. It's not their life. And she says, I know and it was just so stupid because they were trying to get, they, she, they, she was trying to say that the part of the reason you got fired is because I spoke about the case. Now, Robin is looking for him to say, no, that's not it. You didn't do anything wrong. You were just trying to defend me, babe. You always stand up for me, babe. What a, ignore them. Their opinion doesn't matter. And instead, it became him screaming, Robin, 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 why are you getting emotional, Robin? I can't listen to this. I can't. No, I can't. Because why are you feeding into it? Why are you feeding into it? And she says, I'm not feeding into it. Now, I think there's definitely a subtext to everything that's being said. Um, but on the surface level, she wasn't as emotional until he started screaming at her. So yeah, there's the screaming at people who are upset. It doesn't usually make them less upset. So he just is shouting and she's like, I'm not fitting into it. And she's defending it, which is how I know this isn't like a pep talk. A pep talk would be lift yourself up, stand up, girl, stand up. And then she could yell, I'm not sitting down. No, it's just not uplifting her. But he literally... The reason I know that it's not just a tactic for how to get her to bolster up some more, you know, fortitude against and develop a thicker skin with the ladies is that he then says, I can't talk about it anymore. I can't talk about it anymore because like it's making my skin crawl, Robin, Robin, and he's yelling. And there's so many things that could have gone differently about this conversation him actually try, taking the time to comfort her, him saying it in a different decibel level would really help, you know, just take, taking it down a scotch. Um, him not making about him being irritated. I can't listen to this. I have to leave. So that's what's there. I will, to try to see it from his perspective a tiny bit, he hates Robin. <laughs> that's not funny, but it's true. Um, I think he does resent her. He wouldn't be on the show. He probably never wanted to be on the show. And definitely if if they hadn't lost all, if she had not lost all their money in the scam with a friend, which she convinced him to do and does feel responsible for, they they would have had money. And so I, I really think there's some undercurrent of shame and punishment and penance and being tied to each other that we don't always... It's not always what's operating in the forefront, but I think it is motivating some of both of their behavior. And I think that he he really does not like when Robin tries to treat him 
like a supportive, normal show husband because he does not want to be that. He does his best to not be present anywhere, ever. And I think his whole MO is, I'm not really here. Act as if I'm not here. And so when she calls him to do these scenes, again, like the calls have to be planned. So it's not like he doesn't know what's going to happen, but maybe he just can't act or he doesn't quite know how much detail she's going to get into. I don't know. Because I know they'd be having their scripts coordinated when they're at home. If you remember when they were in the kitchen and she's just cutting out pictures she printed at CVS and saying, look at his, look at the curl on his widow's peak. He's so big. And he says, yeah, kids, just a complete unnatural. And then says, you know, the things that are going on, the people are saying, they're just crazy. I love my guys. I love my guys. So I'm not quite sure why these conversations happen in a way that he can't prepare for them and control himself. But I do know he's irritated. And this is not the first time. He does not like getting called to talk about women business. Women business being where his penis was put a lot of the time. He doesn't like it. He doesn't want to be involved. So I, I don't have the background information on whether Robin is pushing this and transgressing some sort of agreement they had. I also don't know whether she keeps her emotions inside, but she lets them out at home. So maybe he really is sick of hearing about it. Maybe she talks about this stuff all the time. I have a hard time imagining her doing that. I, I have to, I kind of believe she's a reserved, repressed, very sad person at home as well. I mean, I think she caters to him a little too much to try to be openly annoying to him. And, and she doesn't demand things of him emotionally. I mean, she barely demands anything penilely. He's just, he does what he wants. But I have to say, there is a little bit, a part of me that understands why he would be really annoyed to discuss the details of his firing and things like that for fodder for a fight between women that is a fight between the women. <laughs> I said women like because it's beneath him, but like there's a little bit of that. They definitely do that on these shows. You know, it's women's business. But mostly for a fight that's not fully sincere, right? I mean, who is the victim of him getting fired? It's not fucking Candace. It's no one on the show. The only victim in that case was the poor student that didn't get the help that they needed. So and there's a part of me that kind of understands why he would be like, I'm not discussing my firing anymore like fire don't say the word fire to me anymore and don't call me and tell me that your girlfriends are fighting over how we handled my fire you know my f firing and things like that like that is a that's kind of demeaning but it's the stuckness of it all right the stuckness of the both of them bumping against something that seems like should you just leave like should we just call it quits this is this is this can't be fun for you right doesn't seem fun for you. But that's that's all I got for that, guys. So another good episode, a little high on the filler to me, kind of ensconced between drama, filler, chicken shit ensconced with drama at the beginning and the end. But I still say bravo, bravo. And I will see you guys at the next soiree, at the next chicken shit soiree in the dance array. Have a lovely holiday. If you don't listen to anything else before then, you're hearing it here. Happy 
freaking holidays, y'all. Happy effing holidays. All right, love you, bye. Cake and Kombucha, a Bravo, Bravo, effing Bravo podcast is hosted and produced by yours truly, Kelechi Azier. Please, I want to hear all of your Bravo opinions. So if you have something you want me to cover or you just want to initiate a conversation, feel free to email me at cakeandkombucha at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at cakeandkombucha, a Bravo, Bravo, effing Bravo podcast or Kelezie, K-E-L-E-Z-I-E. Ta-ta for now.